love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, uh, I can like see the background of where you're sitting and it looks like just like a beautiful day in Vermont. Are we are we at that point of the year where just every day is is wonderful and the days are long, so much daylight and you can just get in all the training you want? Um, we're not quite there, Haley, but we are seeing that light at the end of the tunnel. It is, we finally brought the deck furniture outside this past weekend. I hung some little like deck lights. I'm very proud of this project, uh, outside spending a little bit more of the time outside. Um, but, and I started tilling the land, <laughs> getting my garden ready. Um, and, but then I went to get some like flowers for our porch. And then I talked to the guy at the greenhouses and he's like, don't get too excited. Sorry to be a buzzkill, but we're, it's supposed to be like 25 degrees here on Wednesday night. So don't actually plant anything outside. So we're getting there. We're getting there. But yeah, early morning training is still pretty cold. You're still in like winter clothing. And sometimes when we're having dinner on the porch, we're still wearing our, my like my winter beanie, as you can see, is never far away, Haley. but it is getting light really early and sunshine is a magical magical drug I mean it just makes you excited and ready to train even if the temps are still cold yeah I'm loving all the daylight it was basically light out when I went to the pool this morning uh before 5 30 a.m it's like you know starting to get light out and then I think it's light till like 9 30 p.m right now so it's very nice for longer training sessions, which uh, things have kicked into gear for me. I have Ironman Coeur d'Alene on the horizon. I did actually sign up for it, Alyssa, which was a good Woo! first yeah. step. <laughs> and I just, we've had such a long winter and I mean, I'm, I'm six hours away from Coeur d'Alene. I'm not, but it feels like it's similar. And so I'm, I'm, I feel like it's going to be a mild, mild uh, weather year for Coeur d'Alene this year is what I'm, I'm predicting, but uh, you never know with that race. Um, but I think you've had some longer training sessions kick into gear here recently too. Yeah. I'm not quite brave enough. Still the lake temperatures are like in the upper forties. So I'm not quite brave enough to be getting an open water here, but I have been ramping up my long swim. So my coach Hillary Biscay has me doing one longer swim each week as I get ready for the one water race in Sweden, which is going to be a total of 50 kilometers or so of swimming. So definitely, you know, getting used to some longer swimming. And, uh, this past week I'm up to seven and a half kilometers yards. Um, with seven and a half kilometers yards. I mean, seven. <laughs> Sorry, seven. <laughs> that is that is how my brain is working right now, as you can see. So seven thousand five hundred yards, right? Which is seven and a half kilometers, right? That's less right. than seven. So seventy five hundred meters would be seven and a half kilometers. So it's probably like. Oh, just yes, under seven. Okay. So I'm swimming 7,500 yards. That's what I'm swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry about me, folks. My, my brain's functioning fine. Um, but anyway, so that's my long swim. And this, I always, um, I've loved having a coach for the last decade who is a 
swimmer and gives like proper swim workouts. And, um, I mean, Haley, you know how this is. It's not like, um, you know, my swim workouts wouldn't be written always on like a rest interval or something like that. Like it's by the clock. I'm going on that sort of thing and have pace targets. And I think that has been a big thing as someone who doesn't consider herself like a main swimmer to keep me engaged and keep me liking the pool because I like to, you know, use the pace clock in my swimming. So your 7,500 yards is not just straight. No, not just straight. And, um, so this past week it was a thousand warm up. I had a little bit of freedom to do how I, to warm up, how I wanted to warm up. And actually I'm interested in, do you have like a go-to warm up? Because lately I've been doing 400 swim, 300 with buoy, 200 kick. And then two by 50 is like sprint 25, easy 25, um, on a minute. And I used to always do like the, I think this is like a standard swimmers one, like 200 of the swim kick pole swim and then four by 50. So those are like always two of my go-to warmups. But if you had a thousand of free choice warmup, what would you do Haley? So this is very interesting because all my workouts do start with, or nearly all a thousand of warmup. I write my workout is just thousand choice because, um, like I usually swim with people and people show up late and I do not want to have to tell them where we are. And so if I just write a thousand choice, they just jump in, do whatever. And we all stop when I finish a thousand (laughs) because nothing bothers me more than when people ask me, what are we doing? Um, especially when I'm like in the middle of something and they're late, um, they'll get like my wrath. And so, but I personally, so depends on the day of the week, but yes, I do have, I do always like a 400 swim where I throw in some backstroke. Cause I love backstroke. And then I do a 200 kick swim, 200 drill swim, which I usually do catch up drill. And then if it's Monday, I do a 200 back free. If it's another day of the week, I do, um, I build like, like 150 easy, moderate, fast, and then a 50 easy. So I'm a little bit, I feel like I'm a little pedantic on that. And it just is a nice way I can like, it takes me about a thousand to get warmed up. Um, and I like to go real, I love, love, love going really slow. And me too. So me that's too. the other thing I hate is if someone gets in and is like going super fast, oh. going warm up and I'm like, which I used to be that person. I have a little bit of empathy because in college I was a warm up sprinter. I was like the person everyone hates. Cause I just was excited to be there. And so, um, but now in my old age, I have embraced the slow, nice warm up and just letting my body um, recover. It probably also is because I've like come off of runs and bikes and I'm just a little more achy plus 37 years old. (laughs) There's things that are better with age and things that are like not as good, but yeah, I love the thousand warm up. Uh, okay. So then the, then the set went, there's a pattern here, folks, you can try and pick it up. So I did 16 by 50 band only on 60 seconds with like, you know, quick arm thinking about quick arms and a good rhythm, but not necessarily like a target pace on that. And then right into an 800 holding below a 130 per hundred and again, yards. So not super speedy, but for me, that's like faster than warm up pace. Like I needed to stay focused and stay swimming with like, um, I call it swimming with focus, like not letting myself just drift into this warm up la di da kind of pace, like keeping my foot on the gas a little bit and making sure I'm just swimming consistently for the full 800. Then 12 by 50 band only on 60, 600 swim, same as that. Eight by 50 band only, 400 swim, same as that. Four by 50 band only, 200 swim, same as that. And then you're like, whew, I've got to be almost done. But no, Hillary gave me the kicker, which was four by 500 
paddles, buoy, and band descending one to four with 30 seconds rest. So I was pleased that doing all the pulling at the end of that set, I was pulling around like 120, 300 yards pace, which um, I've definitely swum faster than that (laughs) in my triathlon career. But for a long swim like that and feeling like good at that pace at the end of a set, I am very excited because to be honest, for the 50 kilometers of swimming at one water, we don't need to be the speediest swimmers. I just need to feel, have the like strength and um, to be kind of swimming in that like 120 to 130 pace for as long as we possibly can. So that's the goal, right? And um, I'm finally starting to see that pay off a little bit. And I didn't feel like my arms were going to fall off too much in the day after that. So it was good. And it was a, I like the descending kind of workouts, right? Like where you get to, you know, the longest stuff is done at the beginning. I think that's always mentally very nice for those long swims. Yeah. Everyone loves that. When I write workouts that are like, they go down and then go back up and then oh, that's like, the worst. they hate it. I like it though. <laughs> I don't know. I don't mind it, but, um, I'm like, it's the same no matter what. Like I, I just am not someone who like needs <laughs> the, like that. I don't know. It's fine. But, um, but I want to ask what is the longest like swim leg in one water? Like, so we kilometers, meters or yards. Yeah. So at least, (laughs) at least last year it was, um, like six or seven K and it came at the very end. Like it was one of the last few swims of the whole thing. So, um, most of the swims I think were like two K and to three K. So it's like, it's a lot of longer swims. Like there's not a lot of, you know, hop in and swim 500 type of, um, things, but and I think mentally we all on my team are getting prepared for that long swim. Cause there's a good chance you're hitting it in the dark. Um, and it's through like a shipping channel kind of area. So it's, it's not, it's like more open than some of the other swimming has been. And so it's probably going to be the hardest swim. And so just mentally knowing in the back of your mind, like you have to stay strong for that, I think is part of like what I'm doing in terms of visualization during my training and stuff right now. Um, because I basically should be swimming probably pyramids in the order. I don't like them because as I'm talking to myself about this, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what um, I'm doing. <laughs> I, uh, I was just gonna, I was just thinking, I'm like, I mean, it's almost like double Ironman swim distance, which is a lot, you know, like Ironman is like 3,800 meters. Right. So um, yeah, that is, that's a long swim, but at least you're not getting on the bike after that. <laughs> and at least I'm tethered to two other people. So there you I go. Mean, worst case, like you someone's looking out for the ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think will be your longest swim in the, that you do in the pool? Are you, are you going to build from up from 7,500 yards or is that I, a good amount? I know this Friday I'm swimming 8,000, 8,000 yards. Okay. And, um, then I'm assuming, I'm assuming 10K, but in my head, 10K is probably one of the max, but I also have a feeling I will swim longer than that. So um, I don't know. I, I literally have no concept of what she will build me to, but I will keep everyone posted. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll hear, hear about it. Yeah. Do you like jump out of the pool and then like throw your shoes on and go for a little, little run in, in your swimsuit? <laughs> This week I did have to jump onto the treadmill, but I did take like five minutes to change first. Um, and you're not swimming ran, in your shoes. You're not swimming I'm not swimming shoes. in my shoes. I'm not swimming in my wetsuit. Um, none of that yet, but the lakes, once they open, then I will be doing a lot more of that. And I 
am really excited actually, because I had been scouting the lake and I was like, man, it'd be so nice if I owned this house, because then I could jump in here and exit at this public property and like do little loops and stuff. And so then I was like, you know, I'm just going to find out who owns this and ask them. And so I did, I investigated and emailed the owner and they gave me the go ahead to be using their property as like a jump off point for the lake. So I'm actually really excited now because um, I think that'll be a fun little kind of circuit training and it's a little bit of a jog from the house, but it'll be good swim run training. So yeah, that sounds um, perfect. You can like take all your gear down there and like um, test it all out. Well, good. Well, hopefully the weather does keep improving. My weekend, I, the biggest highlight I think was, uh, I got, I did watch the race, the women's race in Yokohama. Um, that was the world triathlon championship series race. And it, I, I mean, I watched almost all of it. The feed cut out, I think in the final lap of the run, which was a huge bummer, but the weather was horrible there. It was like terror like so much rain <laughs> I mean it was one of those things where I'm like cozy in bed because it was a, it was like Friday night here I think and um and you know it was just like watching these Ugh. women like like get sprayed in the face with all the water it looked so it was so brutal they said it wasn't cold I mean the commentators did said it was not cold but there was a lot of rain and then like it looked pretty treacherous on the technical parts of that by course, yeah, like, do you and- think any of the women were like, you know, if Taylor Swift can perform for three hours in Nashville in the pouring rain, like I can do this race? Do you think that was? We should have asked. We could have. We could have asked uh, Erica Ackerlin. <laughs> she got thirteenth. Our, you know, past uh, uh, feisty teammate Erica got thirteenth, which was weird. I know I should have asked her that because it did remind me of the Taylor Swift concert. Like that is what it of one of the the photos I saw from Taylor Swift. Um, I will add that like. I was doing a long bike ride this weekend. I was doing like a five hour ride. And when I had like three hours left, I was like, oh, I just have like one Taylor Swift left on the bike. (laughs) So it's like, it does kind of help put things into perspective. But uh, that race in Yokohama, pretty cool. Sophie Caldwell um, won from Great Britain. Rosa Tapia from Mexico got second, which I think that was like the first time a Mexican woman had been on the podium, maybe ever in top 10 in a long time. Taylor Niv from the USA making her comeback uh, from, you know, she had surgery earlier this year, came back third, very strong race there. Taylor Spivey in fourth, who has also been another Iron Woman podcast guest. And the American women were really strong. So third, fourth, Kristen Casper, I think was eighth, Summer Rappaport, 10th, and Erica, 13th. So five women in the top 13. Go wow. USA. Yeah, that's really good. And Haley, I know I saw that um, there was some like waitlist action going on. So Gwen Jorgensen, I know, had traveled all the way over to Yokohama to race and was on the waitlist. And she wasn't, she didn't end up getting off the waitlist. And then, but so I guess my question to you is, is the waitlist for racing US at, like, does every country have their own waitlist or is it know. all of the athletes are on one big waitlist? I, you know? I'm yeah. not sure. I don't okay. know that for sure. Like I know that in some of these like races, I think there are like a certain number of country slots and five feels like, like, I don't, I can't remember this, but maybe there's like different dispensations. If you were the gold medalist in 2016, um, I imagine that, you know, the rules might be a little different. So I'm not totally sure if it was like any athlete, uh, decided not to race or if it was a U.S. athlete, I don't know that answer, but, um, but yeah, Gwen did traveled all the way to Yokohama to Japan in case she could possibly get a start. Cause I think the points 
at these races. I think, especially because Yokohama was Olympic distance, I understand that the points were quite a bit. And so that helps you get into more WTCS races, which hopefully gets you into that Paris test event, which is how you can qualify for the Olympics and other races to actually get on that Olympic team. So it's such a process. And I did see that Katie Zafiris, she posted that she was also on the wait list. And, you know, this is the bronze medalist from 2020 and, uh, but, you know, had taken a year off from maternity leave. So it isn't also in need of points. Does she made the different decision and decided not to go to Yokohama instead race in the Punta Cana triathlon and won there. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see each of them make a different decision. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. And it just goes to show kind of the uncertainty and like, it just, that's, it's gotta be a lot to factor in to like the training and the travel and every, like, I mean, I just think back on like Ironman racing and I'm like, what if I had to do that and then show up at a race, like fit and ready and maybe not be racing. Right. Or like plan a season around races, you know, and then races you'd be weightless. Like, yeah, that would be very, very stressful. Um, I mean, it's a good problem to have for the U S that we have so many women that there's like women we're watching who are totally capable of podium and they're wait on the wait list. Right. Like, so I don't know. It is exciting. It's like helping, I think the excitement build for us and getting ready for, um, everything that's to come with Paris 2024. But I do feel for those athletes. I imagine that's incredibly stressful. Yeah. Well, so hard, but, um, it's as fans and spectators, I think it's, it's fun for us to watch it all play out and, um, you know, watch Katie and Gwen, especially as medalists and, moms, you know, fairly new moms, um, you know, just in, they've come off maternity leave fairly recently, um, you know, just making a go for it and trying to work within the system and we'll see how it plays out. So it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating journey to watch. I think they'll have another race. They have a race in Italy in a few weeks. So we'll see who's starting there, how they race, how everything's, you know, stacks up, but, um, it's, it's fun. You know, it's fun as a spectator and fan of the sport to watch, watch everything unfold. And I'm, I get really excited by the performances and, um, you know, get excited for, for those Paris Olympics. And Haley, we emptied our mailbag last week, um, with our answering a few mailbag questions. So people can send in more mailbags and let us know any of the questions you have. We will try and answer it's ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, are we ready? We have a great interview for everyone this week. Yeah, this kind of goes along with uh, what we were just talking about, like Paris, you know, qualification and just the pipeline that Team USA has, which is very exciting. And um, I'm excited to hear this one. Yeah, so we are talking to Gina Serino this week. She is the former decorated track and cross-country runner at the University of Michigan. And she was picked up by USAT's college recruitment program, and showed a lot of potential. So we talked to her in the midst of her arena game season. She was coming off the win at Montreal and um, heading to London. And she was also balancing her WTS racing schedule, all of the prep for the Paris 2024 pipeline racing and her full-time job at NASA. So we talked to her about all of these things after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Gina. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thank you guys for having me. So you've been all over the world racing already this season, even though we're only a few months into 2023, you had the arena games in Montreal in late February, followed by 
the WTS race in Abu Dhabi. And then you hit one more quadrant of the world with the WTS race in New Plymouth last weekend. So where are you now, I guess, is how we will start out this conversation. Right now, I am in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I'm, yeah, working remotely here. But yeah, I've been doing a lot of travel unexpectedly. I like, you always try and lay out your race calendar like a couple months in advance. And then, yeah, just opportunities come up and you don't want to say no. So that's that's kind of um, my explanation for my uh, crazy schedule. Um, I'm doing one more race in London and then I'll have a little bit of a break uh, going into yeah some of the World Cups like in the May, June timeframe. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you have tips for like jet lag? Because I imagine, I mean, that is some serious like time zone change. I'm actually like the worst person to ask about just like sleep habits. And yeah, I don't know. It takes me forever to fall asleep. Um, I can't sleep on planes. Like It's pretty bad. I will say, I think I get so tired from the travel that when I actually get to like the race venue or the site, I can fall asleep really quickly because I'm just like, you know, 24 hours or something without sleeping. So then I actually do adjust to a new time zone pretty quickly. I don't know if that's really like, the best way to do it. I know a lot of people will like try and get on the new time zone schedule, like a couple like days in advance. Uh, that's never something I've tried. So yeah, no tips there. <laughs> you make it work. You make it work. So if any of our listeners aren't the best with time zones, you show it can be done still, but we'd love to hear a little bit more about your most recent race in new Plymouth. I think you finished 20th third American there. But I believe there was a, a penalty that really was a little bit unusual and kind of uh, probably impacted your day a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit more about that race and and that penalty? Yeah, so just to be clear, there was no penalty. Um, but there wasn't? I did, okay. Yeah, it, it was just kind of I made a mistake in transition that caused the transition to take way longer than it should have. Um, so in short course racing, if even if you lose a couple seconds, maybe like four or five seconds to the other people who are kind of going through at the same time as you, you'll miss the bike pack that everyone's on. Um, and yeah, it can be really detrimental to your race to just, yeah, be biking one person versus a group of, you know, 10 or 20 ahead of you. So yeah, what happened was I had an okay swim and then um, I was getting out running through transition and I stopped in front of what I thought was my been my area in transition to like take off my wetsuit, throw my hat and goggles in and then get my helmet on. And after I had done that, I saw someone else was like throwing her stuff on top of mine. And I was like, what the heck? Like <laughs> you're putting your stuff in my bin. And then I looked at the number and I was in the wrong bin. So I just fished my stuff out, put it in, like went one bike over. Um, our bikes were both black. So yeah, just a silly mistake that probably only like if you look at the times, I think my transition time in T1 was maybe four or five seconds slower than the average time. Um, so it doesn't sound like a lot, but even then, like getting onto the back of a group, um, going into a course that's really technical, if there's people who are 20 or 30 seconds off the front, you know, they might get around a U-turn really quickly and they're able to get away. And then I'm kind of in the back waiting to go around the U-turn, waiting for everyone else. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say what would have happened or what could have happened um, if, yeah, I had just had a cleaner T1. But yeah, I think just a silly mistake and yeah, something to learn learn from for next time, right? Always look at your number. 
Yeah. When the margins are so small, like how do you handle that mentally? I've actually, I have actually done something similar, but in a 70.3, I grabbed the wrong bag and went to go put on people, someone like shoes and they were not my shoes <laughs> <laughs> like, and they were not the right size. And my biggest fear was like, it was a fairly long transition. So I was like, Oh no, what if whoever shoes these are is like trying to find them and can't. So I ran back. I, I don't, I think I got them back before that person came in and got my own shoes, but a little bit different in long course racing, because it's one of those things where I was like, okay, not a smart move, but the 30 seconds that probably took me didn't necessarily change my day. But like, as you mentioned, your margins are so, so small. So mentally, was that hard to recover from? I think at the time I didn't really realize how much it impacted me. Like I'm always kind of someone who's like, okay, I'll just roll with the punches. Like I made a mistake. I can recover. So I actually got out of transition and I was like, okay, I'm at the back of this group now, but I can get on. Like, I, I think this is still doable. So I actually didn't really immediately realize I was in a bad spot. Um, but just the way, um, kind of the course was set up, it's really narrow. It's like a narrow strip. And then you do a U-turn right away and then you kind of start climbing and then flat, um, and then more climb. And so like really just the way the course was set up being so narrow like that, I couldn't pass anybody or like get on to a group um, or yeah, just don't have the skills to be able to do that yet effectively. So yeah, at the time I was like, oh, I can recover from this. But then looking back on it now, it's like, oh, that those first five minutes, that's really when all the splits were happening. And I just wasn't like reacting um, when I needed to be. So yeah. Well, the good news is it sounds like you'll have another opportunity coming up in London to, yeah, race again. I guess that is a bonus of short course racing too, that you always have something else coming up quickly, but Gina, we want to back up a little bit and tell our listeners more about your background. Um, I believe you grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and in my head, like every young child in Madison grows up watching the Ironman and cheering for the athletes and like dreaming of one day doing triathlon starting in the sport from an early age, because you were like, so inspired by the Ironman there. Right. So, um, <laughs> tell us like, is that how it happened for you? Not really. Um, I mean, <laughs> I would That's love okay. to be like, yes, <laughs> no, but I will say like Madison is a super active community. And so just like, definitely anyone who grows up there grows up around water, grows up around like you know, streets that all have bike lanes, like a large number of running trails, like there's just so many outdoor activities. And it's like, yeah, like I said, just a really active community. So I did grow up doing a lot of sports. I played tennis, ballet, soccer. Um, I played little league, like softball. Uh, and then yeah, started running in high school. Um, but yeah, my background really wasn't in triathlon. I was a collegiate runner first and foremost. And then I didn't start triathlon until, um, I guess I graduated college. So I think like five years ago, I started in 2018. My first race would have been in 2019, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like grow up watching Ironman races in Wisconsin, unfortunately. You still have time. You still have time to go catch that. But uh, if you're ever at home, I guess you're like always on an airplane, but I'd love to hear more about you running at the university of Michigan, because I believe you walked on to the track and I guess cross country program. Did you run both? Is that the case? But then quickly became a star. Can you just tell us about that progression? 
Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, you're correct. I, I was like a, yeah, a walk on status. Um, we're really lucky at the university of Michigan to have like, there, there's just a lot of spots for, um, developmental athletes on like a big program, like the track or cross country teams. You can have a roster where you have like non-scholarship athletes in addition to like, you know, the six or seven or eight people who maybe get up, get scholarships. So like having a, a lot of people like that, I think, provides opportunities for development. Um, so there's there in my class, I was super lucky. We had a lot of really good high school runners who came um, around the same time I did. And I think just having that environment, like having people who are really good around you to constantly push you, that really helped me develop as an athlete. In addition to the fact that like our head coach, Mike McGuire, just like has a history of <laughs> having really phenomenal um, track and cross country teams over the years. He's, I think coached, he's maybe in his like 27th or 28th year of coaching now. Um, yeah. Won a lot of big 10 titles. So yeah, really lucky to just, yeah, be under his coaching guidance and then just have teammates who, yeah, were really pushing the envelope um, both like, yeah. in the longer distances and shorter distances, I think, um, I remember like specifically watching, like I was never a speedy runner in high school and I would just watch my teammates like Shannon Osika or Jamie Phelan, like when they would do little strides on the tracks, just like a hundred meters, I'd watch their stride. And I was like, oh, okay, I just need to change this. Like I need to kind of have a higher back kick or whatever. And I would just make little, little like incremental progress like that. And I think over time being in that, like environment is really what allowed me to, um, excel and yeah, just improve. And so did you want that coming out of high school to be kind of the small fish in the big pond and, 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 and try to learn from, from other people? And, uh, were you thinking that someday you might be big 10 champion, which, which did happen, correct? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I don't know. I think I've just always like wanted a challenge like I enjoy being competitive. I enjoy like racing other people and I enjoy like trying to get the most out of myself. I don't think I ever was like, oh, I'm going to be a big 10 champion one day or this or that. But I think like, um, yeah, like a lot of that success just comes from the environment I was in. And I'm really fortunate to have been in that situation. I think if I was in a different situation, it maybe like wouldn't have worked out that way. So I think yeah, your environment plays a huge role um, in your success. And I was just really lucky to be in a good one. Could you tell a difference between yourself and your teammates? Maybe like having, like you said, you weren't the speediest runner in high school, but you were probably still quite quick, right? But like, maybe because you thought of yourself that way and you had a little bit more of like diversification in your sporting background going into collegiate running, like, do you think that that helped you kind of in the process, either in terms of the pressure you put on yourself and the expectations versus like other people who maybe came out of high school, like, you know, top recruit, oh, that sort of thing. Yeah, totally. I think, I mean, you see, like, it's obvious who on your team, like is on scholarship and who isn't and who, you know, who's run sub five minutes in high school and, you know, who, who are supposed to be like the studs. And so like, you know, you're all teammates, but to a certain extent, you're competing for the same spots at championship events, um, at conference meets, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, for me, it was always just like, okay, I'm, I'm here right now. I'm trying to get to this level. I'm at this level right now. I'm trying to get to that level. Um, so yeah, there's definitely that like extra drive and motivation 
kind of being someone who like, I don't know, maybe was, yeah, overlooked at the beginning or just not given the same, like, whatever attention because I wasn't a scholarship athlete right away. And even though you were having great success as a uh, runner, I think your senior year, you decided you didn't choose the pro running career. Instead, it you kind of went into triathlon. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, so a, a big part of it was just like, um, I actually was injured my fifth year. And so I didn't really get to, I don't know. Yeah. A, <laughs> a lot of like heartburn still, but yeah, I didn't really get to end my running career the way I would have wanted to. So that, that made me really sad. Um, but I was still like very competitive, I think. And I still, yeah, wanted opportunities to compete at things. Um, and so, yeah, just the way the cards fell, um, I was, yeah, kind of reached out to by the collegiate recruitment program through USA triathlon. And they, um, really helped me like get engaged with the sport and think like, oh, this is something fun I could try. Um, this is something I might be good at, but again, yeah, there was a really steep learning curve there, just starting out in a new sport, um, not having a strong swim background, never having really trained on the bike. So yeah, I think, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I'm happy that I made the decision to do triathlon because I feel like I've just learned so much about myself as an athlete and like, um, yeah, different, yeah, different ways to get better in the pool, different ways to get better biking. Um, and yeah, not just focusing on running. Right. And I believe there was, it kind of also coincided with, uh, you taking a position, a job with NASA. So how, how was that happening? Like when, as you're graduating, um, you want a career obviously, but then you, it sounds like maybe you had a little bit of unfinished business feeling with your athletic career. So can you talk a little bit about that dynamic and and how you made those decisions? Yeah, I think for me, <laughs> I I was always just like fearful of, I don't know, graduating school and not like not doing anything with my degree or not, not really putting it to use because I, I put a lot of work, um, into, yeah, balancing collegiate athletics with like academics. Right. Um, so it was really hard to do both of those things and I didn't want to just throw that away. So, um, yeah, I was thrilled to get an opportunity to work at the NASA jet propulsion laboratory. It's like just such a dream job. Um, the people that I work with are so smart and I like you, you just learn so much day to day from kind of, yeah, everyone, everyone in this environment at the lab. So, um, yeah, that was something I didn't want to turn down. Um, and yeah, at the same time I was like, okay, I still really want to compete. Um, I want to like do things athletically. So this is like a really good fit, um, that I can just, yeah, kind of pair these two things together. And so you are now, now living in Boulder, Colorado, you're working remotely for NASA. And so, I mean, I imagine that NASA is not really a job you can slack off at, <laughs> you know, kind of, uh, cut some corners with the, the training while you're working and stuff like that. So how are you balancing training with work? Like what is a day in your life looking like? I think it's just like having a schedule and having habits makes that balance easier. Um, so yeah, I just, yeah, try and set up my days to plan out, okay, these are the times when I'm going to train. These are the times when I'm going to work. I have meetings basically from, yeah, eight or nine in the morning until like 
five 30 in the evening. So I'll do one workout in the morning. Usually I swim, um, and then come back. I'll work for like a big chunk of time in the middle of the day. And then, um, yeah, at the end of the day, I'll either run or I'll bike. Um, and I just kind of do it that way. I can't unfortunately do a lot of days where I'm doing three things in one day. So my weekends tend to be more like my long ride, my long run. Um, yeah, like putting, putting more training and volume in on Saturdays and Sundays and then less, less volume, but higher intensity during the week. Do you get to train with people during the week or are you mostly on your own because your schedule, just your work schedule dictates so much of your training schedule? It's changed over the years. Um, I think when I first started out, I like I was swimming at times when just no one would want to swim. <laughs> so I did that alone. And that probably wasn't the best for my development in the pool, to be honest. Um, I'm really fortunate now there's a group in Boulder that I've been able to swim with. Um, so I can kind of sync up my training with them during the week. And yeah, then yeah, with running and biking, um, I do more of that by myself. But um, I don't know, my boyfriend Chase and I, we live together. And so he's able to like kind of work his schedule to do a lot of stuff with me. So it's not like I'm totally alone all the time. I have a lot of people around me supporting me and just, yeah, helping out. And what about when you're traveling to all these races? I mean, how are you, are you able to still work since you do work remotely? I mean, are you working on like the middle of the night in Abu Dhabi, like trying to get a project done and then heading right to the race? No, the one, <laughs> the one really tricky part about my job is, um, I, I'm not supposed to do it internationally. I'm not allowed to like bring my computer and stuff to international races. So I take vacation time um, when I go travel internationally. But then obviously it's like, okay, how much <laughs> vacation time do you get? I don't have unlimited. So you really have to pick and choose um, between races. And yeah, I've I've saved up a lot of time, but um, yeah, eventually I'll probably reach a point where um, yeah, I... I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> are your, are your coworkers, do they know, do they know what you're doing? Are they supportive? Yeah, yeah, they are. Everyone's really supportive. Um, it's, it's fun when I go to races, everyone's always like, good luck. Is there a live stream? Like, can we watch? Um, so yeah, it's really nice. And I read that you're working on a project called the psych mission. Is that true? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It and is the NASA psyche mission. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about that and your role within that? Yes, totally. Um, so yeah, Psyche is an asteroid. Um, it's thought to have a ton of metal um, in it. Uh, the estimates vary from like 30% to 60%. But why that's important is because um, a lot of the other places, planets that we've been to to study don't have a lot of metal. They're either made up mostly of rock or um, gas and so they think that this asteroid is really special because it it's potentially an exoplanet. A really long time ago, the asteroid that we were going to study used to be like the center of a planet. That's that's the theory. So um, building a spacecraft to go study this asteroid presents an opportunity in a way to study something similar to the center of the Earth. Um, so that's why we're going to Psyche, right? What I do isn't the science about like, you know, creating this mission, that's all, those are all planetary scientists who would do that work. But what I do is the engineering to um, make the spacecraft work. And specifically, I work on the fault protection and autonomy on the spacecraft. 
So all of the things that happen to keep the spacecraft really safe in the event of an anomaly or some kind of like off nominal condition. Um, so you can think about cases like, oh, maybe the solar arrays aren't pointed at the sun. So we're draining the battery power and you know we're gonna run out of energy on the spacecraft. What do we do? The spacecraft has to be able to autonomously you know, reconfigure its solar arrays, point them at the sun, get power positive, call home and be like, hey, there's a problem. You know, this X, Y, or Z thing happened. Um, so it's about, yeah, designing those algorithms to um, keep the spacecraft really safe. It's, I think an analogy would be like your anti-lock brakes on your car, um, stuff the driver isn't doing, but things that like the car is doing on its own to keep um, the driver and the passengers safe. Do you I ever love the struggle? Idea. Sorry. Do you, do you ever struggle to like, uh, like between the work time and the workout time? I mean, your schedule is pretty jam packed as you're kind of flowing from one thing to another. And it's like, this is a, this is a really cool mission. Right. And it's like very cool work. And I'm sure it's very consuming when you're doing it. So is it hard sometimes to like flip the switch and be like athlete Gina, or is that very natural for you? No, I think, yeah, there it's just who I am. <laughs> I, I don't think there's like this separation between like athlete Gina and engineer Gina. It's just like kind of who I am. I, my teammates in college would always make fun of me. Like, I think I like to like always like make corrections or if there's like something about a story that's like incorrect, I'll be like, like, I have to like point it out. And so I think, yeah, parts like that kind of just like show through in my personality and they're not necessarily like <laughs> the best like trait in an athlete, but maybe it's a good trait in an engineer. So I don't know. I don't really like have kind of a division like that. I feel like it's a great trait. That's why you did not get a penalty in new Plymouth. Yeah. You like, you're like, wait, something <laughs> happened. We fix it. No penalties for you. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the arena games. That's what you have coming up in London. We're talking to you just before that. Um, and I loved watching the races in Montreal. I think it's so fun to watch. I don't know. It looks fun to do it. It looks incredibly challenging, Hard. but I mean, as a spectator, <laughs> it's so cool because we get to see everything. Right. But at the same time, I'm like, oh my goodness, what is it like? to only have like less than 10 minutes. And then you also have to do an interview during that time. And you're like trying to save your breath. Uh, what do you think about it? Obviously you did so well. You really like dominated that race in Montreal. Uh, and how are you feeling heading into, uh, to London? Yeah, I think so. A race like that is just so hard. It's, it's so different than a sprint distance or an Olympic distance race, right? You think of those as being short course racing and then you know, you add in this new format, like super sprint or yeah, in arena games, it's just, it's, it's so different. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you're really like in your anaerobic systems, like on your red line the whole time. And then, like you said, only getting kind of two minutes to reset, um, is really challenging. And during that time, maybe someone's putting a microphone in your face and being like, here, answer these questions, give us insight into how you're feeling. And you're like, can't you see my heart rate? Like, can't you see how hard I'm breathing? I'm feeling terrible, but you just have to say something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an extremely challenging format, but I think it does. Um, yeah, I think like it allows you to really push yourself to, yeah, to that, like tipping over the edge point and like finding that balance, I think is something that I really enjoy. Um, so yeah, just 
just getting an opportunity to do that. I really like, like how far, how far can I go? Like, can I go a little further this time and not fall off? I don't know. We'll see. Like I'll try. So yeah, I'm excited for London. I think, um, there'll be, yeah, a lot of really good athletes on that start list. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a challenge for sure, even to make the final. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. This won't air until after London. So you can kind of give us like, can you share any of your strategy? I mean, when you went knowing that you are such a strong runner and, um, I mean, is there a way that you like try to manage your effort over the multiple races to like really exploit your competitors weaknesses and, and maximize your strength? Oh, I wish there was a strategy. It's just like, go as hard as you can the whole time. I, like, I wish there was more to it than that. I think, okay. So, I mean, I'm being a little facetious, like in the prelim, if you can afford to do so, like you should save energy, right? So the format is two races, um, the first day for the prelim. And then if you, if you're in the top two, then you go straight to the finals on the next day. If you're not in those top two auto qualifying spots, then you have to do a repercharge round the morning of the final. So it's like extra effort. <laughs> like extra hard for the people who don't get to automatically qualify. They then have to race uh, five times that day if they do make the final. So that's a fun fact. But yeah, if you're able to um, save a little bit in the prelims, then obviously you can go harder in the finals. That's, I mean, do you yeah, have desirable. A favorite, like, do you have, do you like doing some bike run or do you like a different order? Oh, I think. I would pick swim, bike, run every time, probably just because it's so hard to swim. It's so hard to swim when your heart rate's already that high. I think I can run slightly faster, you know, like if I'm going into a run fresh versus off the bike. So I think you'll see like my run split um, from Montreal was faster than it was in like in the second round when we ran first versus in the first round when we were coming off a bike. So I don't know, maybe you get a little bit more there, but then maybe the swim suffers a little bit. So I, it, it's interesting, but it's, it's hard to pick like favorites when it's all just so hard. The one thing I don't like is, um, you know, you have to put your swim cap on and goggles, like you're supposed to be able to do that quickly. And <laughs> like, I just can't do that quickly. Like it just, I think my ponytail is like halfway out. Um, yeah, well, you have really long hair. I was thinking about that. And like, you yeah, had it braided <laughs> so nice that I was like, oh man, that is like an extra challenge to, yeah, get yourself sorted so that you can dive in the water. And then I feel like if it's out of your cap, you'd be feeling it while you're swimming and like trying to stay focused. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, That's, I know. I'm... No, I was gonna say like, how much money do we need? Like, would you cut your hair? Like, what is the <laughs> threshold? Like, I don't I feel like I have a number. Like I would probably shave my head for X amount. Of, I mean, every second counts in these races. <laughs> I actually, I have just been thinking about cutting my hair in general. So I don't know, maybe you'll see me with short hair in London, but Ooh, okay. we'll, I don't know. no promises. <laughs> <laughs> what about the curved treadmill? Is there a strategy because you run very, very well on that curved, like self-powered treadmill. Um, is, is that just like your running style or is there a strategy to that? I think so with the curved treadmill, what I found from, um, running on it is you can get yourself going really, really fast. And it's almost like out of control. Like you can spin your legs up and then you're going too fast. And then it takes like energy to slow yourself down. Um, 
So it's really about finding like the right rhythm that works that you're not like overdoing it, I think. Um, but like little tricks that I have to get myself to go faster is just like the more forward you lean on it, like the, I don't know, I can just, I can just get it moving faster if I lean slightly forward. But like I was just saying, if, if you get going too fast, then it's like, you're overcooking yourself too early. So it's, it's really like a tipping point, I think. Um, yeah, what else? I, I mean, it kind of helps you know, there's rules in the races where obviously if you were holding on to the bars the whole time, you could run really fast. Cause then you're not like, I don't know, you're some, I don't really know why, but if you were holding on to the bars the whole time, I think you could run a really fast time, but they have a rule against that. So, um, I think it's like three seconds or less of, um, the amount of time you can be physically touching the bars. Um, do you, do you yeah. get to train on like a treadmill like that? Are you on Zwift? Like practicing ahead of ahead of these games or is it like you get to London and you're seeing it for the first time um I haven't done a ton of stuff just because we don't have a curved treadmill at the gym I belong to I think I did a race in um, Munich last year and I was doing a couple sessions on it so yeah I think it helps but I think it's more just about like like how fit you are, how, if, if you're used to running three minute K's on the track, you can probably run that fast on the treadmill. So I think just the general things you would do to be fit would translate pretty well. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to watching London because it provides excellent trainer and treadmill material for the rest of us here. So, um, we will definitely I love seeing your you. heart rate. I, I love yeah. seeing your heart rate when it's like, <laughs> and then you're doing an interview and it's like at 170, and I'm like, oh, dang, that's hard. That's a skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and Gina, the 2024 summer games in Paris are creeping closer and closer and the USA women's roster is really deep in triathlon. There's no shortage of eyes on everyone either as Gwen Jorgensen has made her return to racing for a bid. So people are watching and like, I think we're all kind of waiting to see how it unfolds and, you know, what are kind of your thoughts about it? How are you going about structuring your year and your racing to optimize chances for this? Yeah, I think it's an exciting time to be a female U S triathlete, right? That we're so deep. It's so competitive. Um, it's almost like if, if you're ranked in the top three, like U S women in the world, like in the U S you're probably one of the best, like top five triathletes in the world, right? Like you really, you really have to be so, so good to be in one of those top spots um, that are considered like favorites for an Olympic selection. So it's really cool to be a part of a team that's so deep like that. Um, it's obviously also frustrating, like, <laughs> you know, everyone wants those spots and it's so competitive. So um, yeah, it's really about, yeah, making like personal changes and just trying to, trying to do things that will support, um, yeah, support your own chances the best. So for me specifically, um, moving to Boulder was like a big, big thing, um, a big motivator, um, for just, yeah, trying to have a better chance at, um, some of those game selections. So being in an environment where there's other athletes to train with, um, and just like making incremental gains, swimming and biking, um, yeah. And trying to give myself the best chance I can given, given like the limited, um, race opportunities right um so the the one tricky thing about having so many athletes um 
like really like eight athletes who could qualify is that like only the top five people are allowed onto the highest start list. So the world series races like Abu Dhabi, Yokohama, they all have like a federation cap. Um, and so like to get those points to earn like selection, you, you almost like have to be there already. So it's really hard to get into events, um, to like build your ranking, um, when like the events that you can get into give you some points, but they're just not as high. So if you do a world series race and finish top 15, you would get way more points than, um, finishing like on the podium in a world cup or it, maybe it's pretty close, but just the idea there is that like, yeah, world series races are really hard to get into because it's so competitive. Yeah. You got to like get in that club and then hopefully like it makes it easier to stay there, I guess, and get into that Olympic, that Olympic birth. Are you pretty committed to short course? And I guess even the super short course racing, which I guess like your arena games, uh, prowess would be really good for that mixed relay. Cause that's like super short racing there. But, um, is that like, are you thinking Paris 2028 as well right now? Um, I'm just trying to get better. I think like I still, every race I do, I'm like, oh, I did this bad. Oh, I did that bad. So there's like a steep learning curve and I'm just, yeah, just trying to keep, (laughs) keep getting better at the things that I'm not good at. But yeah, obviously like I would love to be in the mix, um, for Paris and then for LA in 2028. Did I say Paris 2028? I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you're good. Yeah. Um, like yeah, LA, LA, <laughs> the American, the one in the U S that's like the yeah. special ex- extra, extra special one. We're like super excited about. Yeah. I would love to be in the mix for those. Um, I don't see myself doing long course yet, or maybe ever. I don't know. It's just like even doing an Olympic distance race. I'm like, this is too long. <laughs> so yeah, nothing, nothing against the sport. Maybe when I get older, I would make that transition, um, from short course to long course. But I think just my lifestyle right now, I really can't put in the hours to be good at that. Right. I think you really do have to be biking for like three hours regularly, six hours on the weekends. Like I just don't have the time. We'll never say never, Gina. So, but in the meantime, <laughs> we are really excited to watch this season unfold, especially London here coming up. Um, and yeah, just to, to see what happens for you, we will all be following along. So thanks so much for taking time today with us. Thanks you guys for having me. You guys are so sweet. I love talking to you. <laughs> Haley, we are airing this interview a few weeks after Gina did go to the London arena games and competed. She was sixth there. And did you take note of one of the changes she made for that race? She cut her hair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think it's it's really fun to watch the arena games because the margins are so small, right? And the um, you know, we can see so much. And so you notice little things like, you know, did they do something to make it so their cap gets on one second faster and it could be worth it? And she did. It did look like she, you know, took didn't totally go with the like super short, you know, but um short enough that maybe maybe it made a difference I don't know yeah I mean I feel like it is a it's worth trying right for something like that where you don't know so it's like okay and it looks really cute so I think it was a win all around so um congratulations to Gina for wrapping up that fun and great season of arena games racing uh I yeah, I've always found it enjoyable to watch that. And it's great trainer material. So if you haven't watched those, you can pick them up on YouTube and kind of relive the season. 
And we will definitely be following Gina and her build through the WTCTS racing this summer and see what shakes out with all of these women who are vying for Paris 2024 spots. It's exciting time, but Alyssa, good luck to you in your 8K swim this weekend. I hope it's a, um, a fun time, whatever direction the pyramid is going. And Haley, I will be continuing to start. Well, actually, I think you're going to be fine. I do think Coeur d'Alene will be a nice weather year because I am not racing it. So it's going to be, I will be sad to miss it because that is one of the best races out there, but I'm hoping that my presence allows for a beautiful weather day for you out there. So it's never too early to start hoping for good race weather. Yeah, we'll take whatever we get, but I'll (laughs) talk to you later, Alyssa. Have a great week. Bye, Haley. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.